Serious fun. It always works out. Episode eight. Can't believe we're here. Here we are. Here we are, Dave. Here we are. Back again. And despite my best efforts to get Dave to quit, he's back for some more serious fun face laughs. <laughs> You're getting close, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. Oh God. Oh my God, dude. Uh, I'm I in the pocket, it. man. I'm in the pocket. I'm hanging in there against the ropes. You know, but you might be robot open me. Uh, maybe. Who knows? You might come out and hit me in the mouth one day. Five what? lines. Four lines banging? Five lines would be too many. Five lines is too many. Yeah. No doubt about it. Four lines banging. Um, well, it's wonderful to be back with you, Dave. You were just about to tell me about a bike accident. And I stopped you because I said people need to know about this. Save it. Save it. Well, you yeah, said I, save I, it. Say, yeah, I yeah, asked you to save, save it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I, um, I'm i going to pick up my bike from the shop this afternoon. Um, I'm going to put down a 50 piece tomorrow my boy the chief chief jungle which i'm very excited about but yeah i put the bike down a couple days ago how did that happen oh man so i have a slow leak in my front tire which is very new so i pumped it up to the best of my abilities before i left on my bike ride on wednesday and um i would say maybe five miles into this ride start to notice it it's getting a little flat so Mm. I uh, I went a different route to kind of loop it back around. I was going to try to find a bike shop to have them just pump me up real quick. And I remembered, hey, yeah, you get know, you some of that good air, like yeah, air good pressure. Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just like really, you know, get in there, right? And I remember that over at, at the health food store, Elwood Thompson's uh, on Elwood's and Thompson in Richmond, Virginia, uh, they've got like this little bike repair area and i was like oh, i'm pretty close to that maybe they've got a a bike pump there right sure yeah reasonable thought reasonable thought so you know i'm on uh grace and nanzamond i think i'm in you know i'm a couple blocks away i'm in the fan in richmond virginia and i look you know to my left to my right i'm kind of in the middle of close to the middle of the intersection get past the intersection and i was like all right i'm gonna whip a, a left here right and folks I'm pretty new to biking, <laughs> all things considering, uh, cycling, right? Uh, I got this bike maybe 16 months ago. I'm, I'm comfortable now switching gears, but it took me a, a while. Sure. Right. It took me a while. And you can't really whip a turn if you've got a pretty flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So lessons learned and you learn these lessons in hard times. Uh, but luckily nothing was on me was damaged. I walked yes. away unscathed. You look healthy as all. Yeah, all heck. Thank you. I'm good. I had a little, a little, uh, uh, inside of the leg scrape, very, very, very minimal. And I, I had, you know, my biking gloves on. And so when I hit the pavement and skidded hands a little bit, took, hands took the majority of it and, and they were protected. They were protected with the nice leather wrists were okay. And uh, I bent the front handlebars, knocked the chain off, which I was able to to repair and scraped up the side. And, you know, it needed a, a nice grease and lube anyway. So, uh, <laughs> but the handlebars are really the main main thing. So well, we're, I'm for one, glad you're okay. Man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. It was lessons learned. 
Lessons learned. Would you say that you took more or less physical damage during that than the average emotional, spiritual damage that you take during the show? Way less. Physical way less. Damage. Yeah, way less physical damage. I say you came out. Okay. I walked away unscathed there, and every Friday I walk away. Can't you say know, that can't about the Serious Fun Podcast. Can't say that about the show. No, you cannot. What the hell are we talking about? Fingers, say to the face. Oh, I got some more slaps for Dave. Yes, Dave does have a question. What are we talking about? What are we talking about today? The name of the episode. I said it was going to be Hackable Humans. I upgraded it to Hackable Animals. We're playing off of last week, which was about artificial everything. Now, let me start with a caveat here. Just because I present some information doesn't necessarily mean I personally believe that the information that I'm presenting is going to happen. And if you listen to last week, it, you could have gotten the impression that I believe that this AI cyborg future is an inevitability. I don't personally believe that. But I believe that there are people that do believe that, which is why I'm telling you about them. I believe it's important for the average person to know that these types of thoughts exist in the world and that there are people of influence that are trying to bring that about. So we're going to pick up on that today called Hackable Animals. And we're going to talk about all the ways, not all the ways, many of the ways that some of the, quote, smartest among us, uh, some of the thoughts that they think about humanity, we're going to break them down in the modern context. We'll take our break, our producer break, and then I'm going to go back to where I believe a lot of these thoughts started. So, you know, uh, nothing is new is an is a old saying. Nothing's ever new. It's just... Uh, echoes of the past, and I think that we can actually find the root belief systems that are driving a lot of what I presented last week. So what I had, we're going to get to know this guy really well. Do you know Yuval Harari? No. He's an author. He wrote a book called, he's written many books. He wrote a book called Sapiens. I thought it was awesome. I really enjoyed his book. He's an Israeli uh, professor at an Israeli university. He's also a consultant for futurism for the great Klaus Schwab, our, our favorite guy, and he's very deeply tied to the World Economic Forum. So as uh, remember what Paris says in, in our entry, the name of the song is called Good. Nobody is all good and nobody is all bad. I'm going to apply the same thing to Yuval. I'm not saying he's a bad character. What I think the value is for the listener is to hear the types of conversations, to get some inside track at the types of conversations that are being had by people like Yuval Harari, by Yuval Harari himself, and you can imagine his circle of influence that he's having these conversations with. Uh, We also say you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. So if we keep that in mind, I wonder the types of people that Yuval Harari is hanging out with. So let's just start with this to to open the show. Now, in the past, nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. 
But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. We humans should get used to the idea that we are no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals. Woo, coming out strong there, Mr. Yuval Harari. What are we, Dave? Hackable animals. I'm going to let him double tap us real quick to start the show. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I've never been so irate in my whole fucking life. That guy just said it straight, straight up. Free will, Dave, that's over. It's over, also, bro. He also said your soul is over too. And he's like, yeah, this whole idea, this whole idea that there's a you know a spirit and a soul, and that's over. Forget about it. Forget about it. Fuck you. Fuck that guy. So he's just one of many people, characters out there that that are saying things like this in very elite circles. This is not a unique idea to Mister Yuval Harari. And so what I'm going to do today is we're going to go over some of the ways that the smartest among us who believe that we are have hit this inevitable future of being hackable animals that you can just download some medical software in. We're going to go through, yeah, just a couple of different examples of, of how this is applying. So let's go back to Elon Musk. This is Elon Musk, uh, and uh, he's on Zuby's podcast and took some more clips from it. And this is, what is Neuralink? So, firstly, can you explain what Neuralink is and what the goal of it is? Uh, we put a, a chip in your brain to control your mind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Concerns not alleviated. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> jump right in. <laughs> jump right up. Who wants one? Just yucking it up. <laughs> Just out there to try to control your mind. Now, of course, he was... You know, being facetious. He was being facetious. I don't know, man. You come out that quick with that straight with that answer. But some, I mean, because he knows it's coming. <laughs> you know, this isn't Elon's first rodeo. He knows that that thought is coming. He knows what's in your mind already. And he, well, you got, yeah, with Twitter, with the help of Twitter. And he's got Neuralink coming. And he knows that he's going to be on Zuby's show. Zuby has made a name for himself uh, over the past couple of years of, of speaking what he believes is, is truth to power. And Zuby did his, you know, his darn right best, the old college try. He gave it his old college try to be able to sit down with Elon and push back on some of these issues. But uh, I think you're going to start to hear in these clips like a lot of the laugh tells. And we'll get to some of the laugh tells, I believe, at some point. But let's go to what is Neuralink 2? Uh, so, for, so Neuralink, you'll be able to see Neuralink coming from a very long distance because any device that you implanted in a human is you have to go through a million, so many tests. Um, it, it moves very slowly. You just do a few people at a time, and then um, you, you go to extreme lengths to prove safety. Um, you have to go through the FDA approvals. Like we're not trying to incite vaccines, any, you know, uh, regulatory. <laughs> You can just do that whole thing and apply it to vaccines, and it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Happen. It just doesn't exist. But you know, don't worry. He's gonna. He's got some assurances for us, Dave. Don't worry. Cool. Rules for um, doing everything 
you know, by the book and uh, with maximum, we're really actually we're going uh, far beyond what the requirements are of the FDA from a safety standpoint. They're going far and beyond. Okay, so don't you worry. They're going far and beyond the high rigor standards of the FDA, as Dave just pointed out. Super high rigor. They're going above and beyond. Don't worry. Um, and the, the initial devices will really just be a pretty basic. Um, it'll be about restoring functionality to people who've lost their connection between their, their brain and their body. So you can imagine, like, if, say, Stephen Hawking could talk or communicate um, as fast as uh, somebody with a fully functioning body. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. So that's like the what we're trying to do. That, that's our first application is to restore functionality to quadriplegics, tetraplegics, and, and people who have just for whatever reason uh, no longer have a connection between or have a, a limited connection between their, 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 their brain and their body. As most things go about getting created, it is presented uh, altruistically. Hey, there's he, a problem he, out there. Heal from TBIs, you know. Yeah, that's great. That's great, but... Listen, I'm going to play back just the very beginning. Um, just just listen to this very beginning real quick. So, for, so Neuralink, you'll be able to see Neuralink coming from a very long distance because any device that you implanted in a human is you have to go through a million, so many tests. So he's saying, don't worry. You're going to be able to see it coming from a mile away. You may not be able to stop it, but you're going to be able to see it coming from a mile away. That's presented to us as a, as a form of assurance. Don't worry. You're going to see it coming a long way out, the inevitable future. And again, I could imagine that if someone that I loved and cared about had an issue where their brain and body had a disconnect, that I would desire to have something out like this out there for them to take advantage of, to, for them to have a more robust experience of living. I'm not knocking the concept per se I'm just trying to get you to see I'm inviting you to see that these ideas are always presented always presented for the benefit of humankind that's how they're always presented it should be no surprise that Elon has a presentation that says this is going to be good for people does it mean that it's going to be good for people we don't know yet let's go to Neuralink 3 the second application would be restoration of eyesight. So if somebody's uh, gone completely blind, maybe even has lost the optic nerve, um, you can actually still uh, directly uh, simulate the neurons in the visual part of the, the cortex. Um, so you can give, give a direct vision to the brain. Mm-hmm. In fact, you could actually, depending upon what cameras you use, you can actually see in different wavelengths. Okay. You know, like uh, oh, wow. Jordy LaForge from like, you know, you could like have that like, <laughs> I actually watched like an episode of Star Trek Next Generation with special effects compared to what we're used to are like, you know, uh, not that great, but he's got like the wraparound, you know, uh, glasses and you can see in different uh, wavelengths. Uh, so you can see like uh, ultraviolet, you know, infrared and that kind of thing. So you can actually do that. You can say like, you can see a radar if you want. Well, they're just going to fucking put these in sh- soldiers and then now they're going to like have permanent thermal and permanent night vision, and permanent infrared and just be able to see through walls and shit and blast people. This is terrible. Well, here's something that I, here's a callback to a previous episode, because like he said, this is this is going to be great for for health, essentially, is what he's saying. Hey, 
Like you ain't got eyesight, that's a lack of, of optic health, right? Something's not functioning properly. If you got a, a, a brain body disconnect, that's, that's a lack of a certain level of normal health and function. And they're like, don't worry, it's going to be great, but just something about it seems a little fishy to me. Maybe this guy will jog our memory. They have a fiduciary responsibility uh, to their shareholders <laughs> for quarterly profits. And unfortunately, profitability and health actually are at odds. I don't know, man. I'm sure it's going to be healthy and profitable at the same time. Yet somehow I just get the feeling that it's not going to be. Neuralink is one of many different types of technologies that are allowing the smartest among us to hack the human experience. But it's not the only one. So what I did is, uh, well, Dave, I might have mentioned this before. In the past, I was, I was a budding futurist philosopher. That means, for those that don't know what that is, I philosophized about how tech would impact our future. It was something that I was super into, okay? Like, a kid could be into anime. I was into futurist technology. I'm listening to people like Carl Sagan. I'm listening to people like Ray Kurzweil. I'm listening to people like Elon Musk and Yuval Harari. And this was at the turn of 2009-2010, peak fandom. So I would listen and watch videos that would speculate, like, what types of, what, what's life going to look like in the future? And so what I did is I found a clip, a few clips from a futurist website, scratch that, futurist YouTube page, and I've pulled some of the favorites of what life is going to look like in 2050. Cool? Mm-hmm. Since the turn of the century, technology has rapidly improved. Our reality is now filled with things that were mere dreams in the past few decades. Seeing how the past has unfolded, I was curious about what the next 30 years would look like. So I did a little digging into what life might look like in 2050 for us. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. All right, here we go. Nanotech. Nanotechnology. First, let's take a look at nanotechnology. Over the years, scientists have made exciting developments and discovered numerous innovative applications for nanotechnology. Exciting. As it stands, nanotechnology has the potential to change life as we know it. Experts in the field believe that nanobots will, in the future, be fitted into our brains to connect us to the virtual world more readily and faster. With the use of brain-computer interface technology, the mind and computer will be one, making humans very powerful beings with access to endless information and solutions to problems that the mind wouldn't be able to solve. If nanotechnology reaches that stage, there may be no need for gadgets like phones and calculators. Well, this is very exciting for the students of the future. Looks like math will not be a universal challenge much longer. It's the fucking Matrix, dude. It's downloading Kung Fu in a fucking 18 seconds and then you're... <laughs> Literally. Dude. Nanobots, Dave. Nanobots the size of blood cells. Just, just like trillions of them. They're talking about trillions of nanobots to, to take care of this. And he said the computer-like brain interface, i.e. Neuralink, is going to start to make some of those things possible. But eventually we won't have to connect to an external thing. All we'll need to do is put the external things, get them small enough, put them inside, and then the human, quote-unquote, will, uh, will advance. Let's check out another brilliant idea. 
medical. Now we go from the extinction of phones to the eradication of death. Well, by 2050, the finality of death may be a thing of the past. <laughs> oh, man. Bro. Death. The finality of death. Surely about to be a thing of the past. You know, I'm sure that's going to go great. You know Brian Johnson? You following Brian Johnson? Uh-uh. I think he, he founded and sold Venmo for like $300 million or something like that. Good for him. Uh, great for him. And he is leading, he's got this thing called Blueprint, and he's leading the, uh, or on the cutting edge of, of longevity, right? And, you know, he's one of these 100 pills a day guy and, you know, uh, uh, has optimized everything. He's working with a team of 30 scientists who biotrack his every move and yada, 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 right? And, you know, he... He holds the Guinness Book of World Records for reducing his biological age by the most in the shortest amount of time or something like that. You know, he's like 47 or some, something, and he's he's got the body of a, and the cells of a 24-year-old or some shit like that. I'm making up both those numbers, but they're ish. And, you know, when you look at him, like, he's he's afraid of the sun, right? So he's he is as pale as a cotton... White cotton bed sheet coming out. Now, what out would of the, Captain Taylor Morgan <laughs> say about it's, that? It's it's rough, and the amount of wireless technology and the amount of stuff that he wears and does on a daily basis is completely insane. You know, so there's aspects of his health that are great. Biomarkers are great, and there's other aspects of his health that are uh, just completely out of whack with what is natural in nature and i guess that's his fucking point that's the point of this show and, and i imagine that is corroborating what i'm getting at that this is a belief among quote unquote elite people that we're going to overcome death let's keep going with the clip with the brain connected to a computer through bci technology the information stored in our brains can be transferred into a hard disk like computer files that means the data including memories can be retrieved and uploaded into another being maybe a more advanced humanoid robot this way the best minds in every field will be preserved and able to continue working on innovations another improvement to consider in the medical field is that serious diseases like cancer will be cured the only downside to this development is that every new technology is very expensive when it first comes out so the rest of us may not have access to this literally life-saving technology for a while Trans you can download information and shit from a brain or whatever like okay that's fine but the soul doesn't transfer your energy source doesn't transfer like the, oh no the as you heard you all harari say that whole idea that you have this this spirit that's independent is soul that's over that's over that's dumb it's over Next one, this one's on AI. Shout out. Artificial intelligence. Something that may be available for everyone is artificial intelligence. Already more advanced than most of the innovation. Hold up. Let me back that up. At the end of the last clip, he was like, uh, yeah, it's really expensive. So like the rest of us probably not going to get it for a while. And my, my next thing is if ever. Okay. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I'm going to start this clip over. Th those are some key phrases in my opinion. <laughs> For, for them, 
they're going to have access to this other for, stuff. For the rest for of them, us. they're going to live forever. Yes. And for the rest of us. Artificial intelligence. Something that may be available for everyone is artificial intelligence. Already more advanced than most of the innovations mentioned here, the development of artificial intelligence will only get better through the years. Experts in the field believe that AI will surpass the processing power of living brains. That wouldn't be scary if it didn't open the door to the robopocalypse. Luckily, scientists still have to figure out how to impart all the important human values into an AI before it can become a part of our everyday life. But the rise of AI will, of course, change the face of the workforce. Not only that, but the job market will also face radical change. And with the way things are going, about half of the world's current jobs will be extinct, taken over by AI machines and robots. In 2050, the world will be more interconnected and even more driven by data than it is now. Some of us will definitely need to consider a career change. Yeah, you could just go be a battery for the machine, i.e. the Matrix. I'm sure that's coming. Dude, dude, you know people are going to sign up for that shit. They can't wait, Dave. Oh, my God, just plug into the fucking virtual reality and just sit there. And Dave's just start. Dave's starting to see it, which is, uh, for some people, we're going to go ahead and re- eliminate death. But for the rest of you, it's AI for you. It's AI, and you better consider a career change. And that career change might have you at home all the time, which needs you need a place to hang out. Now we move on to the metaverse. Since Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced it, virtual reality and AI have been assimilated into our everyday life through the social media giant. For those who may be a bit confused about the metaverse, you're not alone and you've come to the right place. The metaverse is a virtual reality computer-generated environment in which you can interact with other users through AI-enabled software. So it's about simulation with avatars representing users. As metaverse functions get more developed, by 2050 it will be able to offer a full virtual experience that includes shopping to travel right from the comfort of your own home people will have the option to share their virtual experiences with the world. Imagine taking a trip to your favorite holiday destination with your family, only you're not physically there. That's what the metaverse will offer. It seems to me like the more we get connected, the more we stay apart. You don't say, buddy. Oh man, we're going on those family vacations where we're not actually there. Oh, it's going to be great. Got to get those people hanging out in the metaverse, being connected. Because that's how you connect with people, Dave, is, is you, you separate them and you put them in a fake place. That's how you connect, you see. Let's talk about real estate. Real estate. Speaking of the automation of home appliances, the homes in 2050 will also be completely automated smart homes. Although smart homes already exist, the developments that will be available in the next few decades will be a great improvement to what we have now. Smart homes in 2050 will have full AI activation functions, allowing the home to sense our moods and requirements without giving it a single command. Additionally, interactive hologram televisions will exist, meaning that you can verbally call up your hologram TV and it will appear right in front of you. The best part? You will never have to look for the remote again because you can control the TV with your mind using nanotechnology as discussed at the beginning of the video. So with that, we have come full circle in this video of exploring what our lives will look like in 2050. I'm just going to go live in a hole, dude. You? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just try to get you out in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, with certain please. technologies, we'd be great. Get Dave some internet. Get Dave some electricity. No doubt. Get him some clean water. I'm gravy. That, to me, should be what we are using technology for. But these 
mind viruses that we are going to hack the animal human to surpass the flaws, some of us, the elite among us, are actually not going to go into the metaverse. They're going to use technology so they can live forever in their physical body. The rest of us, though, it's to the AI you go so we can use that brain data and churn some more influence and power that help the people that are trying to stay alive forever. Meanwhile, we're going to give you uh, places that can sense your mood AI, and I'm sure it can do a lot more than that, like lock your fucking doors. <laughs> okay? Keep your ass Keep inside. Keep your ass inside, but don't worry. You get a hologram TV. Or fucking turn your AC into a gas chamber or something like that, man. Shh, no telling. A lot of people may not realize this, but that whole, like, your uh, your house the the smart house smart house evolving as as your presence walks in already exists do you know who has it who was the first person to have a house that changed environment based on who was in the room i mean i'm talking it changed the art on the wall it changed the temperature of the room it changes the music that's playing when they're walked in and then people get priorities that's to say based on who's in the room by priority that's the environment that you set it to no who our boy bill gates Oh. Our boy Bill Gates has already pioneered that ish. He's had it in his house a long, long time. So we've we've been given a lot of promises about how awesome the future is. And like I said to start the show, just because I'm presenting it doesn't mean I believe that they're going to be able to pull it off. So what I've done is I've collected a top ten list Dave Robinson. The top 10 list is the top 10 tech promises that never actually manifested. Okay? Great. So we got a little bit. It's a top 10 list, dude. Dude, I like top 10. Everybody loves top 10 lists. Keep this in here. All right, so I'm going to try to keep it in here. And so this is the top 10 things. Top 10 tech promises that never manifested. Okay, here we go, number 10. Cities under domes. You ever heard of that? Yeah. In the 60s and 50s and 60s, the idea that cities would be under domes, which was pioneered by a guy named Buckminster Fuller, was like the biggest deal ever. Domes are going to happen. And in fact, it'll pay for itself in 10 years if you put it over there because of all of the show that you, the snow that you won't have to shovel in, in New York City. Apparently, Buckminster Fuller was so smart, he figured out that if you put a dome over New York City, It'll clean all the germs. It'll help auto-regulate the temperature. And you'll save all that money because you won't have, to, won't have to pile any snow on there. I'm sure it'll have no other secondary impacts. But it never happened. And everybody thought it would. Number nine. Number nine. The food pill. The food pill. Remember the Jetsons? Yeah. They were like, for sure the food pill is going to happen. Algae sandwiches was like a... Future delicacy. We're going to have algae sandwiches to get all of our nutrients. Yum. Again, pioneered in the 50s and 60s. You're going to start to see a trend here because I think we're repeating that trend. These beliefs have already existed. They've existed for a long time. Number eight. The flying car. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Classic. Classic. We'll see, we'll see it one day, but I know. This has been an idea since 1909. Now, I know what you're thinking. Look, we're going to see it eventually. We've been primed to believe that this is coming. Just like the, a lot of the, uh, you could say there are some types of Christian sects that always believe that the second coming is like right around the corner. Yeah. 
The flying car to me is the second coming of Christ for the average techie. They, it's just right around the corner. Number seven. In the 1960s, they believed that they had been able to figure out something called a knowledge pill. There was a test done in the 60s where scientists were working with worms. They gave worms RNA. The worms were eaten by other worms, and the worms that ate the worms started explay, uh, uh, expressing the skills that the first worms had been given. So even though the second worms weren't taught these skills, because they ate the worms, they were able to have the skills. And so scientists believe that knowledge and skills were kept in RNA so pills could be used to enhance skills. So I could give you some pills that would help you learn Spanish, and you would just have Spanish. In a way, it's like a nanobot, except it was RNA. RNA, Dave. RNA. All right. Number six. Man-made oceans. In the, in the 60s, they were contemplating creating man-made oceans where they would actually add water to the earth. Now, here's the problem with that. Thank God some French physicist did the math on that because he realized that putting that much extra water near the equator could potentially slow the rotation of the earth. Could you imagine what would happen if we slowed the rotation of the earth? Could jump higher. <laughs> People were like, this is a great idea, and we should totally do it. <clears throat> I mean, you know, man-made lakes and shit, that's fine, but oceans are another thing. Go ahead. Number five. In the 60s, again with the 60s, we were dreamers in the 60s. Undersea colonies were like going to happen. They called them gold rush towns. So when we started figuring out that there was all this oil and minerals that were good for the earth hidden under the ocean bed, they were like, shit, we need to set up colonies underwater so we can actually go to work without having to keep diving down to the bottom of the ocean every day. Problem with that, as you might imagine, is it's a lot of pressure when you're under that much water, but they were sure they were going to be able to do it. And they even were working on creating artificial gills for humans so we could breathe underwater. There were going to be sea cars in our driveways See, I, I could underwater. See, I could see something like that, like 50 feet down. Me too. You know? Yeah. Off, just like, just like barely just offshore in a nice little bay or something like could that. Could you imagine having a, a multi-terrain car be, that you just like drive on out? That'd be fucking tight. That would be fucking tight, but... You know, never happened. Number four. Now, this one is incredible. It was called the I smell. Lowercase I, capital S, smell. I smell. First of all, let's just talk about the name. Who wants to buy a product called I smell? It was a device that sat on your desktop, connected to your computer, and based on what you were looking at, or reading in your email, it would emote different smells <laughs> to make a more immersive sp experience for you, Dave. So you're reading about the forest, and it's... It's like know, giving uh, us forest. You're reading, you know, I don't even want to talk about all the things you could be reading about on the internet, <laughs> giving me these weird smells. But they were like, this is it. This is totally going to work. 
Number three. The safe cigarette. Yeah, they tried. They tried a long time. This started also when? In the 60s. The safe cigarette. Dreamers in the 60s. I just thought that was... You can just roll your own organic tobacco, and that's pretty safe cigarette, all things considered. No, man, the artificial, the artificial one would be way more safe and effective. Yep. Yep. Number two. Google Glass. You know, when that first came out, the very, I saw the first commercial of that, like, back in the day, and I thought that was pretty cool. Of course. I thought that was pretty cool. It did look cool as shit. Sunglasses with some, you know, stuff on them. Augmented reality is what it's called. AR. VR is where you go somewhere else, like the metaverse. AR is when you're in the physical world, but you have these things on that augment your experience. They've got, um, they're they're expensive, but they're they're also really sweet. But they've got, uh, there's a motorcycle helmet that has built into the helmet you can like see your directions and you can see, you know, like in the visor, basically, you know, you you can like in the upper part and it's kind of, uh, um, you know, translucent. So you can obviously see the road and whatnot, but it'll tell you like, you know, turn ahead and it'll do those little like blinker things, you know, on the left or the right hand side, the yellow ones that you kind of have in your rear view mirrors, some of those cars, uh, telling you that there's someone in your blind spot, you know, so they, they can kind of, they can kind of do that, but you know, they're not in glasses. My hope my hope is that the other types of tech that we have talked about, uh, AI, Neuralink, and other pieces of tech that we will talk about, that it will fall somewhere like that. When Google Glass first came out, it was like, this is the future, this is a wrap, everyone will be wearing these, life will be forever changed, and then it's too expensive, or the market isn't what they thought it was, and it, then it starts to get to be used in a more specialized way, like a fancy motorcycle helmet that uses the Google Glass technology to be able to put things to enhance and uh, make more safe the experience that the motorcyclist is having. And that's a very niche product, right? Mm -hmm. I hope, my hope is that the things that we're desiring to see, and it's actually my guess, my prediction is that all the AI cyborg stuff is actually going to start to end up more akin to Google Glass getting put into a specialty product than like everyday use going to change the world because, well, we'll get to the last one. And the number one thing. And the number one thing. The number one tech promise that never manifested, the Segway. <laughs> you remember the Segway? You know you can take Segway tours in downtown Richmond? I have. I Have, have you done it? I have run a Segway tour in Memphis, Tennessee. I have actually guided people on a Segway tour. Had a blast. Had a blast. But when it came out, this was going to change. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and play the promo. Do it. One of the things that's really exciting about this technology is that, simply put, if you can walk there, this device will take you there. It will just take you there a little more efficiently, a little faster. This device is much closer to something you wear. You get on it. And you lean forward and you go forward. You lean back and you go back. It's as intuitive as walking. It's really an extension of your body that just gives you more power, more agility. What Henry Ford did in the last century uh, for, for rural America is what this device will do in the next century for city dwellers all over this country and all over the planet. 
smart, but you'll hear. We have a solution, and it's a cost-effective, energy-effective solution, and that's a really big deal. Cost-effective, energy-effective solution, and it's a really big deal. Steve Wozniak himself, co-founder of Apple, was like, we're going to have to change the way that cities are laid out. This forever changes the world. The Segway. We're going to change. It's going to revolutionize everything we do when it comes to inner city travel. Every time. And it was like the smartest people in the world said it. And they did news stories on it. And kerplunk. When we get jetpacks, it's going to be pretty cool. Jetpacks do exist. This also exists, or they're at least trying. Climate change is one of the biggest problems that we face today. We may be beyond the point of no return. Scientists believe that we have no choice. But to- Can we let's just let's just talk about? I'm gonna I'm gonna start it again. I think somebody sped this up. This doesn't sound like a natural talking rhythm. You, right. can, you can, So this was yeah, sped it's up. Quick. It's been chopped. But this is Matthew Lau. He's a bioethicist, and he's so smart. You're gonna learn a ton. Climate change is one of the biggest problems that we face today. We may be beyond the point of no return. Scientists believe that we have no choice but to consider geoengineering. But geoengineering is very, very risky. I want to consider a class of solutions that have never been considered before. Human engineering. It involves the biomedical modification of human beings. 18% of greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. So if we eat less meat, we could significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Now, some people would be willing to eat less meat, but they lack the willpower. Human engineering could help. <laughs> Just as some people are... Ha 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 Did everybody laugh in the background? <laughs> ...naturally intolerant to milk or crayfish, like myself, we could artificially induce mild intolerance to meat. <laughs> by stimulating our immune system against common bovine proteins. And in this way, we can create an aversion to eating eco-unfriendly food. And we can do this, for example, by having meat patches, kind of like nicotine patches. People can then wear these patches before they go out for dinner to curb their enthusiasm for eating meat. Now, I can't tell if the people that are in the crowd are cheering this on because they are fucking hyped as shit yeah, about this. Yeah, there's a couple of vegan, vegan animal lovers out there just stoked. Or they're actually seeing how hilarious and dumb this idea is, and they're laughing at him. I hope it's the latter, but let's just listen for it again. ...induce mild intolerance to meat. <laughs> By stimulating our immune system against common bovine proteins. And in this way, we can create an aversion to eating eco-unfriendly food. And we can do this, for example, by having meat patches. Kind of like nicotine patches. (laughs) Meat patches. Kind of like nicotine packages. Patches. (laughs) (laughs) This is so smart and so great. It's going to be awesome. The future. Led by people like bioethicist Matthew Lau. It's going to be so great. So what I've presented so far is that there's a lot of ideas out there about how the future is going to be made better. Many of them are based on this idea that human beings are now hackable animals, and we should leverage that to our fullest capacity. Another way that we've been leveraging the hackable nature of our body is with the mRNA tech platform where we send messenger RNA to cut and paste. No, that we haven't gotten to the cut and paste yet. That's CRISPR. We'll talk about CRISPR as well. But mRNA goes out and sends a messenger RNA into your body. It says, hey, 
can you produce this, please? And your body's like, you got it, coming right up. But the problem is, uh, as we're finding, as they're finding with some of the mRNA tech platform shots, is that um, there's no signal for when to turn it off. And it just keeps pumping and producing the thing that it was asked to, and it doesn't know how to turn itself off. That's a possible side effect, is that some of them don't turn off. Because it's a medical software. And sometimes software has bugs. Bugs. And bugs make the thing don't work properly. I don't even think that's a real phrase. Make the thing don't work properly, Dave. Yeah, that works all right. All right. So I'm going to keep scratching at the... So that, those are the ideas. We heard the top ten list of things that didn't work, but these are these ideas that are being had, and they're being sold as the inevitability, and that is the next great thing. And if you don't agree... You're fucking ten-ply, bud. You know? Um... But now I want to get into some of the belief systems that are driving this. And I'd say before we do that, you know, are we, is it time for a smoke break? Yeah. All right, let's do it. So, we've talked about a lot of their ideas, but we haven't really discussed a lot of the mindset that's, and, and belief systems that are driving these ideas. So, this one is another clip from Elon and Zuby, and so we're going to parse his language here very carefully. This is about a two-minute clip. Stop me if you want to. This is... Uh, called How It Used To Be. So you can think of like, like the human brain really is, could, could be ugly divided into two parts. One is kind of like the primitive uh, brain, um, the, the reptile brain it's sometimes called, you know, it's like a, a sort of basic instincts. And um, and then we've got the cortex, like the higher level thinking, planning and that kind of thing. Um, but the two operate symbiotically. So I haven't yet met anyone who wants to delete their limbic system or delete their cortex. 
everyone's quite happy having both. Yeah. They're like, oh, I like it the way it is, you know. Um, but your cortex is way smarter than your limbic system. So, but the irony is that even though the cortex is way smarter than the limbic system, most of what it's doing is trying to make the limbic system happy. It's like limbic system's hungry. I'm hungry. Okay, let's get some food. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you said hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd catch that. Oh, hungry. man. I'm hungry. Elon's hungry. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's okay, great. I'm so glad you caught that. Then the limbic system is horny. Okay, let's, you know, have sex or whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, the sheer amount of 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 effort the, you know, the, the, the cortexes have of all the humans have put into trying to get laid. Is insane. That's <laughs> <laughs> going to keep the species going. Yeah, but if it's, but not even with even if you know it's not for procreation, like the, like the limbic system is is really like too simple to understand that like sex does not result result in, in procreation because for almost all of human existence that it did. Um, the birth control is a very recent thing, so this, the the limbic system is like trying to incent procreation. And, um, but, but now we can effectively hack the limbic system by doing There's procreation, that word again. by, by having sex without procreation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is, I guess, maybe part of the, the issue with, uh, you know, why do we have more kids? It's like in the past, it would just happen because, yeah, you know, yeah. in order to make the limbic system happy, you'd have sex, you'd, you didn't have birth control. So if you pop out some kids. Yes. Um, so that's, that's how it used to be. Nobody ever jerked off. Nobody. Ever. Nobody ever, huh? Nope. Uh, Nobody ever. Yeah, exactly. We don't have tons of history and other examples in the animal kingdom of animals that engage in sexual pleasure without the need for procreation. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little delay there. My bad. But that's how it used to be, which implies, Dave, what? If that's how it used to be. Well, according to Elon, then it's got to change. All right, it's got to change. Let's hear how. So, 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 the, so, even though you've got a cortex that's way smarter than the limbic system, the cortex is still basically just trying to make the limbic system happy. And um, and then if you think of like a, the computers as a, as a sort of a third layer, um, the AI is a third layer. It's not necessarily the case that the um, AI would be acting contrary to our interests. I think if it's closely linked with our biological intelligence, I think it could um, actually be just something, again, trying to make the cortex happy, which is trying to make the limbic system happy. So I think we'll put even more computing power to try to get laid, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, man. Basically what he's saying is, it's like, yeah, you know, we've evolved to have different layers of our brain, but really when you when you think about it, the cortex was only uh, developed in order to keep the limbic system happy. So we might as, I mean, what's the big deal? We'll make a third layer, and it'll be informed by AI, and uh, I believe it could, leaving open for the possibility that it could not, but it could just be another way for us to make our cortex happy in, in an effort to keep our limbic system happy. My point is, it's like... It's so matter of fact in his mind that this third layer would be added and it would fall right in line with the other amount of evolution that we've, you know, engaged in for millions of years and that, you know, we're just going to have it all figured out like that. So that's just the way that it used to be and it's going to be different from here on out. And because it's going to be different, we're going to have even more types of problems that we don't even know yet. So we're, as we heard, Jobs are going to take a dramatic shift 
in the AI world. And if it puts lots of people out of jobs, there's going to be a lot of people that don't have the ability to work. we got to figure out what to do with all those people. So I got Yuval Harari back to talk about this issue, and I, uh, I think he's got the solution. In the industrial revolution of the 19th century, what humanity basically learned to produce was all kinds of stuff, like textiles and shoes and weapons and and vehicles. And this was enough for very few countries that underwent the revolution fast enough to subjugate everybody else. What we're talking about now is like a second industrial revolution, but the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. (laughs) I thought I was going to say AI. I'm going to pause that right there. That man said it very matter-of-factly. In the industrial revolution, the ones that got out ahead of it used it to subjugate people. We got a new industrial revolution on the way. And instead of the product being machines and services, it's what, Dave? Humans. Oh, boy. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, changes. And if there is a gap between those that know to produce bodies and minds and those that do not, then this is far greater than anything we saw before in, in history. And this time, if you're not part of the revolution fast enough, then you probably become, become extinct. Once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds, so cheap labor in Africa or South Asia or wherever, it, it simply counts for nothing. And again, I think that the biggest question in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade... Pause it. It's like, yeah, if you can't produce for somebody else, you're just going to go extinct. Yep. The ones that are controlling the power. Exactly right. Oh, oh boy. Will be what to do with all these. The biggest question in economics and business today. Will be what to do with all these useless people. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Oh my God. That's harsh. You have to be imbalanced in the mind, in the psyche, to believe that that's true. (laughs) Wow. Let's keep going. I'm sure it doesn't get any worse. I don't think we have an economic model to, for that. My best guess, which Universal is just a guess, is that uh, food will not be a problem. Uh, with that kind of technology, you will be able to produce food for, to feed everybody. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. <laughs> Meaningless and worthless, how, Dave, what do you think his solution is? What do you think the answer to the question is, is how they're going to deal with all the boredom? Uh, virtual reality. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, how are we going to deal with all these useless people? Just give them drugs and, and video games. And pack them away in their little pods. No, food won't be a already, problem. Dude. Food won't be a problem. They're literally doing it already. This is already the reality. 
this of is life. Insane. This is this is but this is the reality of a lot of people. Is they're packed away into their houses. They don't you know they're just playing computer games and getting DoorDash and fucking yeah because they know. got nudged to do so. Yeah, they got primed to do so during the pandemic. Now, like I said, nobody's all good. Nobody's all bad. Nobody's all good. Nobody's all bad. I have chosen some clips that make Yuval Harari sound more like this. It, it doesn't sound good. This is what he considers to be a practical debate about where we're at. And I think, I mean, there might be some things that you might hear and go, oh, you know, like this is worth talking about. That doesn't sound like he's anti-human. I, the, the clips that I've chosen thus far, though, aren't doing them a whole lot of favors on the, the humanist perspective. But let's just see. This is, again, we can stop this as we go. This is about a two-minute clip. This is practical debate one. And you have this discussion for, you know, for, for thousands of years about what humans really are. Are they a, 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 an immaterial soul or an immaterial mind? Or are they embodied beings, embodied entities? Keep in mind, he's also a theologian. So, like, he studies religious history. So he's got a deep, deep well of knowledge into the, like, past and history of, of traditions. And that's what, essentially, Sapiens was about, which is a book that I found very fascinating, uh, was, was that exactly, you know. So, um, again, he's opening up some things that appeal to me intellectually. And um, this was a major philosophical topic that you see, say, in ancient Christianity, this discussion that Jesus and the first Christians, influenced by Jewish traditions, they believed very firmly that humans are bodies, which is why Christ rises in the body. He's resurrected in the body. And when Christ initially talks about the kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of heaven on earth. He tells his followers that there'll be this perfect kingdom here on earth, you know, with trees and stones and people. Um, but over time, under the influence especially of Platonic philosophy, Christianity drifted away from this view of humans as embodied and placed greater and greater emphasis on the immaterial soul or mind it imagined that the body is, is dirty, the body is animalistic, the body, there is something wrong with it. And uh, when you die, you are not coming back in the body. Your soul is liberated from the material body. And it goes not to a kingdom on, on earth, but to heaven, which is a completely immaterial realm. So the Christian fantasy became to completely disconnect from the body. And this remained a fantasy for thousands of years. Now, with the technology of the 21st century, a lot of very ancient philosophical and theological debates are becoming practical. Hoo-wee! Exciting to see how it plays out. So, can I just make a quick point? Please. For, for folks who do believe in Christianity or have religion, you know, there's the concept of, of uh, eternity. Right, the eternal life, right? And I think what a lot of these techno futurist people, AI, you know, neurolink type people believe is that they are going to become immortal. Right? Yes. And then what happened? but the problem is like eternity is 
an unfathomable amount of time. It means forever. And our brains like really can't even wrap our head around like how long that that is, if that concept is accurate. Right, because right. long is billions even a word to describe it. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 akin to the amount of stars in the sky, you know, or, or in the universe that we know of. Right. It's it's that, and you know, times of in, infinity. Right. It's right. What happens when Earth fucking blows up in in a thousand years or a million years? Right, a million years is a drop in the bucket in six point nine billion or however long the universe sure. has been around, or eternity. Yeah. Right, so they're never going to be eternal. Yes, it it ends eventually. Yes, I think the way that the path that they're on, they're going to try to end it a whole lot sooner. Yeah, they're sure going to try, and they're going to do it by having practical, quote unquote, practical debates about it. Uh, these philosophical and and think about the ego involved in wanting to be the one who settles these ancient philosophical debates i mean yeah we're the ones could figure it out we're gonna be the ones to figure it out that is totally an ego trap and i think it does a good job of highlighting that uh the belief systems backing the belief systems are often unobserved because in the history of christianity the early christians tended to be more physical based according to him and then when plato came along uh, the the Platonic ones think about the soul as being something separate than the body that would been, then be released. Like these drive a lot of the beliefs of concepts that you're describing, which is eternal heaven and hell. You know, well if uh, if the body's just the body, and when it dies is when it dies, and that's the end, then there is no quote unquote eternal heaven and hell. It's mm-hmm. just the experience that you have as a human. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like to hit, based on what he's saying, that that early Christians had more of that belief. That, that there was an eternal ethereal realm that you would spend your whole life in. However, that has that belief has infiltrated Christianity now to be the standard, I would imagine. I would say that the average Christian would, would believe in eternal heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those, but that's all based, based on Plato. You know, Plato died a long time ago, but his beliefs still permeate now and I think that we're gonna. I I know I'm going to name uh, some exact belief systems that are not nearly as old as Plato that are driving it. But we're gonna save that for a second half of show. Um, I'm gonna skip practical. Eh, there's a reason I had practical debate too. Let's just start it and see where we go. So going with your example, let's say we, you have some teenager or some person, whatever age, yep. sitting at home, never leaving home, in front of a screen, maybe with some 3D glasses or something, they live their lives online. In a way, they are realizing the platonic ideal of disconnecting the soul or mind from the body. So what do we see there? Is it... Um, human being trapped within a room, losing connection to the real world? Or is it a human being liberated from the restrictions of the biological body with all its messiness and, and, and dirt and whatever, and liberating their I'm spirit sure taking a lot of showers. to wander around the immaterial heavenly realm of cyberspace? Do you see how this is putting this current thing in question a lot of the belief systems that people have are from older belief systems that they don't realize are subconsciously running so it seems like a really 
a cool idea if you believe in eternal hell or eternal heaven. Like, why wait? I can just go and hang out in that eternal realm. As I mean, they're telling me I'll be able to put my mind into a machine. So, like, that's what I want to do instead of taking the uh, uh, risk of not, you know, hey, I may not be able to answer that question if I die naturally. And there are many, many people who live in a hell on earth. And that that reality may very well be a better reality than the reality that they live in right now. And to put some uh, put some kudos and 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 coin in the uh, early Christian debate, hell on earth is usually a very physical experience. That's yes. why you feel like you're in hell. It's because it's a physical experience that you're having in your body, even if it's not outside your body. It's still very physical. Let's keep rolling with you all. Well, there are nobodies. Now, personally, if you ask me, um, I think the early Christians were right, that humans are embodied entities. If you try to disconnect the mind from the body or the soul from the body, it leads in a very dangerous direction. That's the most reasonable thing I've heard him say. He said that he actually believes that trying to disconnect the body and the mind is a bad idea. Okay? And I believe that he believes that, which is why he's going to be one of the people possibly to try to live forever and the AI is for everybody else, which is the disconnection of your brain and your body. Okay. But he's like, yeah, I think that things can go wrong. And even though he acknowledges that, I imagine he's still helping people bring it to fruition. That you, you, you can't really do it and it will be destructive psychologically and socially. But that's just my opinion. You have lots of people today, when you hear, for instance, people talk about the metaverse. The metaverse is exactly that. It's the idea of creating an immaterial realm, which is made entirely of data. There is no biology there. There is no physics as we know it there. Go fucking play Fortnite then. Yeah. Get the haptic suit that they had in the the uh, Ectolife commercial. Get that haptic suit and just play Fortnite with your VR glasses. Why do you have to go all the way? Can't we just have a little bit, little bit of fun? Guess not. Now, uh, I have four more clips, roughly four minutes of material, and then we're going to go to producer break. Um, this is fascinating to me about the, he's going to make a comparison to what most people think the Matrix is, and that's sort of what the Ectolife uh, commercial was highlighting visually for us is this idea that we're going to be put back into these pods, you know? Um, But he says, you don't need to go through all that. You don't actually need to go through all that to actually take over people. And he's going to talk about that here for AI to do it. They boil down to one very, very big thing. The ability to manipulate and to generate language, whether with words or images or sounds. The most important aspect of the current phase of the ongoing AI revolution is that AI is gaining mastery of language at a level that surpasses the average human ability. And by gaining mastery of language, AI is seizing the master key unlocking the doors of all our institutions from banks to temples. Words, bro. Words, dude. Words, stories, squiggles, and sounds. That's the way to hack the human. 
is with language. Damn. Damn. Back to why we're here doing the show. All right, let's keep going. Because language is the tool that we use to give instructions to our bank and also to inspire heavenly visions in our minds. Another way to think of it is that AI has just hacked the operating system of human civilization. The operating system of every human culture in history has always been language. In the beginning was the word. We use language to create mythology and laws, to create gods and money, to create art and science, to create friendships and nations. I'm just gonna keep rolling with these clips. For example, human rights are not a biological reality. They are not inscribed in our DNA. Human rights is something that we created with language by telling stories and writing laws. Gods are also not a biological or physical reality. Gods, too, is something that we humans have created with language by telling legends and writing scriptures. Yeah, unless there actually was a god that did create it, then it is a thing. I'd love to see him and Mark Passio in a room together. He said that those that human rights are not biological facts. And according to Mark Passio, they are nat- natural rights are inherent. Irrefutable. 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 So what I want to bring into the space now is a woman named Laurel Erica, who we've heard, and a lot of her stuff has been passed around. I believe her episode on Paul Check was the one that caught everything on fire. You started everybody hearing everybody call it the strength end, the strong end instead of the weak end, and the, that's Laurel Erica. This is a clip from her uh, on the Aubrey Marcus show, and I thought that this complemented the last set of clips very well. In all our efforts to heal our psyche and raise consciousness on the planet, we have all but overlooked the very instrument of conscious thought and communication. Yet our forked tongue English language, which is the leading software of the Western mind. Our forked tongued Western language or English English language, language, which is at the forefront of Western civilization. She said, so so the forked tongue denotes what? I don't know. What has a forked tongue? Oh, a snake. Reptiles. Mm. I'm going to back that up, but just she's, she's getting at it with her words, too software of the Western mind is itself in great need of retuning and upgrading. Over the course of my life, I cultivated a heightened sensitivity to how the total normality of insanity in society is echoed, reflected, and reinforced by the English language, which inadvertently yet unavoidably propagates an antiquated and manipulated vision of reality promulgated by the ancient church as an instrument of mind control. Control at a time when people had to surrender their mind if they wanted to keep their heads about them, quite literally. Back to mind control. So, 
She's saying that the medical, the, the software of the English language is in much need of a retuning because it is continuing to perpetuate and propagate an antiquated version of the world that is actually uh, uh, a manipulative one, not that one that is for everyone's best, best and highest good. And at the same, in the same breath, we had over here Yuval Harari saying, "Hey, AI is getting really good at using language to ensnare people." Okay, this is why we need to be attuned to our language and how language is being used against us. The Matrix assumed that to gain total control of human society, AI would first need to get physical control of our brains and directly connect our brains to the computer network. But this is wrong. Simply by gaining mastery of human language, AI has all it needs in order to cocoon us in a matrix-like world of illusions. Contrary to what some conspiracy theories assume, you don't really need to implant chips in people's brains in order to control them or to manipulate them. For thousands of years, prophets and poets and politicians have used language and storytelling in order to manipulate and to control people and to reshape society. Now AI is likely to be able to do it. And once it can do that, it doesn't need to send killer robots to shoot us. It can get humans to pull the trigger if it really needs to. And with that, Dave, I'd like to thank you for your courage. Thank you so much for being with me on the Serious Fun Podcast. And for those out there in the airwaves, I got a little reminder for you. It doesn't care whether you don't know. It doesn't care whether you're nescient or ignorant. It's in effect. It's binding. And it is immutable. Straight up bop. And with that, we are now in the producer segment of the Serious Fun Podcast. This is the time in the show where we remind you, oh dear listener, that for the value that we are creating for you, we would love to receive that value back. That's called the value for value model. And we receive value back in the three T's. Tell them what it is, Dave. Time. Time. Do something. Talent. Do something. Treasure. Send us booty. Time, talent, and treasure. Five-star reviews. Five-star reviews go really well. Send it to your friends and holler at the Venmo or the PayPal. <sighs> Please do. Friends. Please do. And because, we- listen, this is a hell on earth for your boy over here. <laughs> if we're talking about hells on earth, it's hard. Well, it's I got difficult. some... You know, we we have no booty as far as I can tell today. No booties. No booty, which is unfortunate because, man, I had a couple of like, I had a couple of things that I wanted to uh, to to debut today. Um, and I wanted to debut it thinking that we'd have some booty. Maybe I left it in the uh, in the parking lot here. Let's see if I. Yeah. Okay. So, in the future. In the future. When there's booty, you'll know it because of this. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Love treasure. It. Yeah, that's Treasure. Great. For the treasure section, I got the ISO now. Booty rocking everywhere. Great. Okay, so when there is booty to be found, booty, 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 rocking everywhere is how we're going to bring in the, uh, the booty segment. And I thought this would be a great way to say thank you to somebody who donates to the show for the first time. It's that new booty, dude. Okay. We found that's, it. One more time. One more time. When we get new booty, that's going to be it from now on. So Great. just um, what I'm going to do one more, since I've played it twice already, we'll just say one was for Davis, one was for Captain Seven Steves, and we'll do this last one for Neil Gordon, who donated on the last show. That's it. My man. Thank you for the new booty. I'm going to go ahead and celebrate you for donating. Because, I mean, really, they really went above and beyond they last did. week. They really did. We had over $60 in donations, which is a huge, huge win. We'd love for that to become a norm. Hell, we'd love to see $6, $600 a show. We'd love to have so much value being given back to us because of the value that we're creating, this edutainment that people go, you know what, Brooks, Dave, you need some money. Here is that new booty. And, you know, hey, we didn't have any executive or associate executive producers today on the booty side and that is totally it's totally okay man okay. I, you know i've seen some tags i've seen some shares i think our, our stats are up stats are podcast up. download listen stats are are on the climb so they, keep it going they with your are time undoubtedly and on the climb let's go boys and we appreciate it y'all are y'all are helping us we're by winning some are saying that you're bipolar wow and then what what's the cure medicine Make me like them? Not gonna happen. I'm by winning. <laughs> I win here and I win there. Now what? Dude, Dave and I are by winning in these chairs today. I've gotten some chuckles out of Dave. I've gotten some laughs. I've certainly, you know, uh, gotten some real sour faces. Hopefully, we'll be able to catch some of this on video. Put it up on. I all of y'all can hear my mostly very intentionally controlled breaths <laughs> and long, deep exhales. Yeah. All right, all right. So I got a, I got a couple of ISOs for us. You ready? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna play this one. No, the AI is gonna help you get laid. <laughs> it's pretty good. All right, that's a, uh, that's a good one from Dave. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, after Dave and I have smoke breaks, I actually feel this way. Okay, let's get some food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real though. Okay, let's get some food. That's gonna be happening right after that. Um, here you go. But but now we can effectively hack the limbic system. We can hack the limbic system, but I think this is the one that we've all been waiting for. Limbic system's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> that one is going on the oh, pad, dude. <laughs> Play it again. Yeah, got to. Limbic system's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, that's good. Okay, so limbic systems hungry is uh, one more time for the people in the back. Limbic systems hungry. Oh my god. By far, by far the winner, Dave says, by far the winner is Limbic System is hungry. The Limbic System hungry. Um, yeah, my Limbic System is is starting to get hungry as well. But we still got more show. And in fact, uh, Dave, I must ask you, is this a... Bop or flop? Get my music queued up here. Oh, 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 
we're bopping. We're bopping. You've been uh, you've been hitting with the reggae reggae jammies here. I've definitely I've definitely been hitting with the reggae jammies, and there's a reason for that. Dave. Good should I should I tell you why? Hit me with it. Well, this first of all, let's give this man proper respect. This is Bingy Music, another bopper, with yet another bopper, and this one's called Life's Journey, and that is Bingy's beautiful son. Ah, that's awesome. And he's and that's what he's singing about. It's Life's Journey, man. Love it. His son inspired this song, and this song inspired this bop or flop. As a producer of the show, we love to say thank you to our producers, Bingy. You are an incredible human being, and uh, you're an incredible musician. And so the reason, the reason I've been playing a lot of jammies. I haven't yet played a song from Jay Written yet. I want to get written permission uh, from Jay Written himself. I want to get written permission that hey, I can I can use these songs on the show, and I have yet to receive the written permission yet. So I'm I'm doing some respect, but I do have it on good authority that we will get the third member of the Whalers Trio onto the Bopper Flop section. Let me give Whalers Trio a shout out. And so this is Bingy Music. Last week we had David Slur. And then there's Jay Ritten, and they are the three members of the Whalers Trio. The Whalers Trio is the legacy band that carries on the legacy of Bunny Whaler, the founding Whaler himself, Bob Marley's best friend. The one that got Bob Marley to play music and to move to Kingston and move to Trenchtown was Bunny Whaler. And the, uh, Bunny Whaler's manager, her name is Maxine Stowe. His name, her name is Maxine Stowe, and she is the manager of this legacy group, who we happen to meet through an incredible set of circumstances um, that seemed very serendipitous and magical. And we met them in Jamaica, and we now are going to be going on tour with the Whalers Trio in October. We're right, dude. Let's fucking go, Let's go. dude. Hell yeah. 50 Hell years yeah. ago. 50 years ago. The Whalers put out an album called Catch a Fire. And that happened in April of 1973. In October 19th of 1973, they released another album called Burnin'. And after they released Catch a Fire, they went on tour, and it was their first tour outside of the United States. Oh, excuse me, outside of Jamaica. And they went to England, and they also toured in the States, and that tour was called the Catch a Fire Tour. And so now we have learned that we are creating, co-creating with the Whalers Trio, with Hallie, with Nate Dogg, with Maxine Stowe. We are creating the Catch a Fire 50th Anniversary Tour. And not only that, we're kicking the tour off in Jamaica, October 19th, for the 50th anniversary of Burning. Sav, dude. Sav. Let's go. We're stoked about it. It's been a hard-fought experience because, you know, like setting up tours is really hard and managing relationships with people in other countries is not easy. But we've been, we've been plugging away, and that work is starting to see uh, some results, and you're going to start to see some more official announcements about that in the very near future. So we are thankful for Bingy for his bop or flop. Thank and you, sir. Dave, uh, I quite a bop. Quite a bop. Quite a bop indeed. Hmm. Let's see here. 
did I have anything else for this section? I had some ISOs. I had bopper flop. I was hoping for some booty, but we didn't get it. And let's just go ahead and give Nate Dog a shout out because you said Moontime Moontime Bounce yeah, was no a clear bop. And Nate Baumgartner is our regular producer who produces great stuff for us. And we appreciate it. The handler. The handler. We, and he's also the smoke, the devil's lettuce. I mean, he created all that. So we're really grateful to have all of you producers in there. And the way that you can become a producer with your time is you go out into the world, you meet somebody, and you ask him this question. Where is the five fingers? Say to the face. Slap. <laughs> Please, 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 if you would love to support this show by helping us get found by other people, you can support us with your time by introducing the show to a friend. We call that giving them the serious, fun face slap. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, I've just been slapping Dave so hard lately, he's not sure how long he wants to stick with it. But I'm trying to make it fun. And the way that you can make it the most fun is to send those donations of your time, your talent, and your treasure if you have talent that you would like to donate you can email at uh, brooks at seriousfun.io and if you have any donations of the booty you will hear the new booty and the booty rocking everywhere we will say thank you and you can donate at brooks meadows on either venmo or paypal all right david Let's see here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 clips left. Okay. All right. We're doing great on time. We're about an hour 30 in. We're going to be under two hours today. I can just tell. Let's do it, boys. All right. So I told you I was going to dissect the origin of a lot of these ideas, the origin a lot of, of the hackable human ideas. Where does this come from? All of this started with a guy named, I say most of it, most of it started being popularized with a guy named Madison Grant. Have you ever heard of him? No. Never heard of him? Never heard of him. Well, let's hear about him. Madison Grant is a very interesting man. He's charming, he's witty, he's erudite. He's the kind of guy you would like to have dinner with. Erudite? Madison Grant. Erudite. The fuck does that mean? It's an older word to say he's high class. Cool has been largely forgotten by history, but he was one of the most important conservationists who ever lived. He was also probably the most influential racist who ever lived, and who led directly to the Holocaust. No, dude. <laughs> no! Madison Grant, no! Madison Grant traces his roots all the way back to the original Puritan settlers. His family owned some of the most valuable real estate in the world. He numbers among his uh, ancestors, signers of the Declaration of Independence. Madison Grant was as American as an American could have been. Among his closest friends were Teddy Roosevelt, William oh, Howard Taft, Warren John D. Rockefeller Damn Jr., J.P. Morgan. That's why it's really tough to do this Dude, show. You start finding out some wacky shit. Don't tell shit. me anything about Teddy that I don't want to hear. It's not about Teddy. All it's right, about great. his homie Madison Grant, but all we right. got to talk about him. He's one of the most famous racists of all time, and he's a he came from Puritan background. Now, who are the Puritans? Uh, early Protestant Christian sect. Exactly. And they were the Puritans. Now, most people would tell you that it's because, oh, they believe in the pure beliefs. No, bro. They believed in keeping the the lineage pure, pure, and that's in. I mean, we haven't done the show on. I haven't done the show on racism yet, but we're gonna. Don't worry, it's not next. But like, it leads somewhere else, which is related to today today's show. 
So Grant invented what today we call wildlife management. And that's important because I think that once Grant made the philosophical decision that it was okay to regulate the wildlife population, it wasn't so hard for him to think it's okay to regulate the human population in our midst. So he propagated the idea of eugenics. The government should step in to regulate the breeding of the inferior people. The Jews, the Mexicans, the poor, the handicapped. And so Grant urged the states to institute sterilization statutes by which tens of thousands of Americans deemed to be unfit were sterilized against their will to prevent them from breeding. Grant also urged the states successfully to pass anti-miscegenation legislation. So he popularized eugenics in the United States. Can you tell me what eugenics is? Hit it. Well, I'm just wondering. I don't have it. Uh, if you have a working definition for it, otherwise we're going to do that live lookups thing. Eugenics is the study of how to arrange reproduction within the human population to, re, to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritab- heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. It's, it's, it's uh, like selective breeding. Correct. Like for genes and stuff. Correct. Yeah. And one country that took it to the absolute extreme was Sweden. Sweden really loved eugenics as a practice in the turn of the 20th century. And if you want to know why most people are blonde, blue-eyed, and huge in Sweden, look no further than the practice of eugenics as a national policy. But to give you a real-world example of how eugenics was even being practiced up until the 50s and 60s here in the United States, I have a clip from Mo Facts, another podcast, who's giving a great example from a pop culture reference. Here it is. And I want to give people a real-world example of how this plays out. Remember the scene for Forrest Gump when his mom takes him in for the intelligence test? Yes. And she's like, he fall. The dude was like, he falls here, <laughs> down yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if she allow him to be classified like that, nothing else after happens. Oh, you're right. In the real world sense of it, Forrest Gump would probably have been sterilized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to give people an example of of, of that, of to say. Um, that's that's a real world example of you fall under this line, you don't deserve to have a life, dude. When I heard Mo say that, it totally rearranged the thought of Forrest Gump in my mind because, you know, what does his mom do to to make sure he doesn't get listed and categorized like that? Do you remember? I don't. So he said, "Is there a Mister Gump, Mrs. Gump?" And she says, he's on vacation. And then that night, Forrest is sitting out in front of the, on the, on the rocking chair as a little kid. And Mama Gump's getting, getting some, some of the business up in the house. And then the guy comes out and he said, oh, your mama sure loves your education, cares about your education, boy. But when you put it in that context, it was desperation. If my son gets labeled as a non-fit for society, that's a wrap. He's going to be treated different. He's going to be sterilized, and I don't want that for my son so bad that I will be willing 
to actually have sex with this strange man in order to make sure that that doesn't happen. That blew my mind. And that is a real world example of eugenics and how it was even pot. Like it was so subtly hidden in that movie that I didn't even consider that angle. And it is so spot on eugenics. Keep going. We're going to keep going on Madison Grant because again, I'm making a point. Eugenics is the key word. It is the, uh, re re referencing the, the intentional, uh, controlling of desirable traits, heritable, heritable, desirable traits in the population where you control the population. Okay, let's keep going. In 1916, Grant wrote his best-selling book, The Passing of the Great Race. It's one of the most important books of the 20th century. Grant sets forth the theory that the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Nordics were at the top of the ethnological pyramid, with all the other races falling in place beneath the Nordics. It was a very influential book. Adolf Hitler, who in 1924 was doing research for his autobiography, Mein Kampf, was given a copy of Passing of the Great Race. He immediately fired off a fan letter to Madison Grant, in which he said, this book is my Bible. <laughs> Jesus. Could you imagine Hitler sending fan mail? That's just a funny oh, thing to think about. Man. Hitler's out there sending fan mail. And who? To Madison Grant, that's who. Nazis come to power in 1933, and you can see how the German policies are directly influenced by the passing of the great race. Straight on to the final solution under which six million Jews were murdered. It is chilling that after World War II, when the Allies put the remaining Nazi leaders on trial, for crimes against humanity. Dr. Karl Brandt, he was Adolf Hitler's leading physician in the Third Reich, and he entered passages from the passing of the great race that had urged the state to destroy sickly infants and to get rid of inferior races. And so the Nazis defended their policies by pointing to this best-selling American book. Oops. Thanks. Welcome abortion. America! Fuck yeah! Uh, you said what, Dave? Welcome abortion. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Okay? Uh, yeah, we're going to keep that in mind. Okay. After World War II, no one in America could publicly say they favored eugenics. And for half a century, his ideas lay dormant. Madison Grant died in 1937. He was a largely forgotten figure. Eugenics is making a comeback here at the beginning of the 21st century. We have the Human Genome Project. We can now see the actual genes that Madison Grant could only hypothesize. Some of the things that Madison Grant postulated, it turns out a number of our personality traits are inherited. What's interesting, the internet has allowed scattered groups of tiny individuals to share the passing of the great race with each other. Thanks to the World Wide Web, Madison Grant and the eugenics are making a comeback. And by comeback, he doesn't mean that there's now more people engaging with it. I think he means now we can just talk about it publicly because the beginning of the clip is the real, real crux of this. After World War II, no one in America could publicly say they favored eugenics. Yeah. No one could publicly say 
that they favored eugenics. But it's making a comeback in... Now that's kind of funny, though, because the civil rights movement didn't happen for another 20, 25, 30 years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so here's another example of a possible eugenicist out there talking about it openly. What we do between now and 2050 with education, with uh, economic growth. Let me just stop you here. Dave, who is this? Who's Bill. that voice? Bill. Bill Gates. Fuck that guy. The fucking conspiracy theory, quote unquote, boogeyman. Dude, if you guys can't tell, dear listeners, we don't like this guy. I mean, you know, I used to, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And if I parse his words here, there are things that he doesn't confirm or deny whether the tactics that he's going to engage in are imp- uh, uh, increasing population or decreasing population. I want he's you such to keep a nefarious. Fucker. It's very intentional and calculated with the language. Listen very closely. What we do between now and 2050 with education, with uh, economic growth, uh, with health and nutrition, that'll really set the course uh, for moderating the population growth between 2050 and 2100. What we do with nutrition, economics, what we do will set the course for moderating the population growth. Moderating the population growth. What's another word for moderating the population growth? Slowing down people, killing people. Or depopulating. Depopulating, That's another fair way to say it. Yep. So what we do will set the course and trajectory. Does Bill sound like he's in favor for a bigger population? No. But what we do will set the course, so we better listen up. But it's really a virtuous cycle, letting women virtuous have... Virtuous cycle. Uh, oh, is it? It's a virtuous That's cycle, nice. Dave. Fucking clown. Letting women... Uh, uh, reproductive health tools that they want, you know, educating girls, raising agriculture productivity, uh, getting these malnutrition interventions on a much uh, greater scale than we have today. Those are the things you would want to do anyway. It turns out that uh, by doing those well, you also... Uh, set the the population growth rate coming down quite a bit. And so uh, it just makes it that much more imperative that we invest in the human capital now. The human capital. We got to invest in the human capital now. And so that the challenge of what under any scenario will be fairly high population growth, uh, that you're able to benefit from all those young people uh, making a, a big contribution to their country. Well, if you're going to have to have a population growth, might as well make sure you get those human resources to do what you want so you can take full advantage so they can do it for their country. Dave, you mentioned one form of eugenics. What was it? Abortion. Abortion. It may be uh, unfair to say this, but uh, turns out um, that Bill Gates's father who is arguably more influential than Bill, his son, has ever been, would you believe, David, that he worked on boards of countless organizations, including the United Way and, wait for it, Planned Parenthood? Lovely. So, Bill's father 
was growing up, coming to prominence in an era where you couldn't say that you were in form of, uh, in favor of eugenics. It wasn't a good PR move. Instead, what you may do is be asked to sit on a board by Planned Parenthood, who uh, allegedly, I believe Margaret Sanger is the original founder, said almost specifically that she, in fact, was a eugenicist and desired to control the poor population, that most of whom happened to be black and brown. Um, but this isn't uh, just isolated to, uh, you know, his father. Um, there's been an abstract, or excuse me, a paper called The Saviorism of Melinda Gates, Eugenics, Philanthrocapitalism, and the Perils of Western Feminisms by Audrey Alexander of Duke University. And in the thesis, I, uh, being Audrey, um, historically analyzes and ex explicates long-lasting issues with philanthropic programs, especially their health programs, by using Melinda Gates and her family planning programs at the Ga Gates Foundation as a case study for the harms of philanthrocapitalism. So I'm not just some podcaster throwing these random accusations around. There are actual papers written by students at high institutions like Duke that are out there questioning, yo, is what we're doing eugenics? What the heck? And it turns out, it is. Let's go back to that beautiful Ecto-Life commercial and listen now for the eugenics built into the belief system. With Ecto-Life, miscarriage and low sperm count are a thing of the past. Prior to placing the fertilized embryo of your baby inside the growth pod, in vitro fertilization is used to create and select the most viable and genetically superior embryo, giving your baby a chance to develop without any biological hurdles. Genetically superior, Dave. We got to get those genetically superior traits out there. That is classic eugenics. If you want your baby to stand out and have a brighter future, our elite package offers you I the hate opportunity it. I hate it. I engineer the embryo <sighs> implant the Thanks to CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool, you can edit any trait of your baby through a wide range of over 300 genes. By genetically engineering a set of genes, the Elite Package allows you to customize your baby's eye color, hair color, skin tone, physical strength, height, and level of intelligence. You want to be like those blonde-haired, blue-eyes Nordics. They really got it figured out. It also allows you to fix any inherited genetic diseases that are part of your family history so that your baby and their offspring will live a healthy, comfortable life free of genetic diseases. And they're going to use something called CRISPR. CRISPR has made its rounds as being the next best thing. We're going to use it to solve all these problems. And it's a gene editing tool. You're going to edit some genes. Here's a quick, what is CRISPR for, for people that may not know? In a document, if we suspect we've misspelled a word, we can use the find function to highlight the error and correct it or delete it. Within our DNA, that function is taken on by a system called CRISPR-Cas9. CRISPR is short for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. CRISPR consists of two components, the Cas9 protein that can cut DNA and a guide RNA that can recognize the sequence of DNA to be edited. To use CRISPR-Cas9, scientists first identify the sequence of the human genome that's causing a health problem. 
Then, they create a specific guide RNA to recognize that particular stretch of A's, T's, G's, and C's in the DNA. The guide RNA is attached to the DNA-cutting enzyme Cas9, and then this complex is introduced to the target cells. It locates the target letter sequence and cuts the DNA. At that point, scientists can then edit the existing genome by either modifying, deleting, or inserting new sequences. It effectively makes CRISPR-Cas9 a cut-and-paste tool for DNA editing. In the future, scientists hope to use CRISPR-Cas9 to develop critical advances in patient care or even cure lifelong inherited diseases. Or create an entirely new type of species because they're so smart they're going to... Afterlife. Reinventing evolution. They're going to reinvent it, and eugenics is just the best way to do it. Hey, who am I to judge? No, I'm definitely here to judge. Eugenics is not cool, and it's making a comeback, and it's having an effect. It's being nudged. If they Now they have the tools that they needed at a massive scale to convince a lot of people that this is a brilliant idea. And Dave, so I did some digging on ectolife because I used, I, the way I presented it was like, this is a done deal. Really what it is is a idea that this person had and made a pitch for it. So I did a lot of researching on it, and the best that I could find is that it's not a reality yet. Ectolife is not an actual company yet. They are a, it's a scientist that is trying to get people to engage in these types of uh, investment opportunities. And dude, turns out they got another brilliant idea. So first it was what? Babies and pods? Dude, they got this new thing. It's called the Upgrade Program. You're gonna love it. Feeling overwhelmed by all your responsibilities? Wondering, what's the meaning of life? Ready to quit living, but not ready to die? Worry no more, because Ectolife got you covered. Introducing the Ectolife Upgrade Program, powered by useless people. Ectolife Upgrade allows for those left behind by modern society to be of actual use for AI's utopia. <laughs> We've partnered with Whack Arnold's to provide your necessary nutrients delivered directly to your pod. A convenient solution for everyone, from elite gamer veterans to sody drinking super fats. With the help of a delicate layer of engineered enzymes, your human waste becomes a renewable energy source to power the AI combat climate change, and save the planet. Enhance your pod with our immersive experience kit, complete with a virtual headset and haptic suit so you can go everywhere without going anywhere. Ectolife, reinventing living. Did you make up Ectolife? No, that would... (laughs) That was amazing. Go Hallie, dude. Go Hallie! Wow. We created the up, up... Start uh, upgrade program. UP is capitalized for useless people. Oh, wow. Got him. Got him, dude. <laughs> got that him. Was that was good. Come on. That was good. Hopefully, I got them out in the airwaves too. I wonder how oh. long it took him to figure out that that wow. shit's not real. 
Oh my God, we're having fun. It's a serious fun podcast after all. I got four more clips. We will set up the next show and we will get out of here. So obviously, Ecto Life is real. They It's real in the fact that they are trying to make it happen. These are ideas that are being explored and those ideas are being influenced by old belief systems that we may not know exist. Eugenics is one of them and it is driving a huge, huge uh, a part of this transition into a new world. Can I have a request for an ISO real quick? Sure. Can you pull, uh, not right now, but mm-hmm. just uh, get Trump saying huge a couple times, like okay. just back to back, just so we got have it. it. Right. We got to have it. Yeah, okay. Got you got it. Gotta, okay. We'll get huge. Thank you. Um, so to begin setting up the next show, I want to go back to Yuval Harari. And this is a 49 second clip called The End of Human History One. Mm-hmm should also be terrified. Why read a newspaper when I can just ask the oracle to tell me what's new? And what's the point, what's the purpose of advertisements when I can just ask the oracle to tell me what to buy? So this is... There is a chance that within a very short time, the entire advertisement industry will collapse, while AI, or the people and companies that control the new AI oracles, will become extremely, extremely powerful. What we are potentially talking about is nothing less... He's calling them oracles. Yes, and, and he's doing that intentionally. Yes. Yeah, they're the new oracles, the AI. Exactly. Look up oracle. Okay. Oracle, live lookup. Ancient Greek, maybe? Oracle, a priest or priestess acting as a medium through whom advice or prophecy was sought from the gods in classical antiquity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Origin, Latin. Latin. Mm. Oracle is I. Or, or, yeah, oracle. I believe it. It's the I. Yeah. Ancient prophecy. Than the end of human history. Now, not the end of history, just the end of the human-dominated part of what we call history. History is the interaction between biology and culture. It's the interaction between our biological needs and desires for things like food and sex and our cultural creations like religions and laws. History is the process through which religions and laws interact with food and sex. Now, what will happen to the cause of this interaction of history when AI takes over culture? Within a few years, AI could eat the whole of human culture, everything was produced for thousands and thousands of years, to eat all of it, digest it, and start gushing out a flood of new cultural creations, new cultural artifacts. And remember that we humans, we never really have direct access to reality. We are always cocooned by culture, And we always experience reality through a cultural prism. Our political views are shaped by the stories of uh, uh, journalists and by the anecdotes of friends. Our sexual preferences are tweaked by movies and fairy tales. Even the way that we walk and breathe is subtly nudged by cultural traditions. 
So, we're being nudged, subtly or otherwise, into some behaviors, and here is what I believe. I believe social media to be the primary tool for nudging these days. Here's Yuval Harari on social media. If we are not careful, a curtain of illusions could descend over the whole of humankind, and we will never be able to tear that curtain away or even realize that it is there, because we'll think this is reality. And social media, if this sounds so far-fetched, so just look at social media over the last few years. Social media has given us a small taste of things to come. In social media, primitive AI tools, AI tools, but very primitive, have been used not to create content, but to curate content which is produced by human beings. The humans produce stories and videos and whatever, and the AI chooses which stories, which videos would reach our ears and eyes, selecting those that will get the most attention, that will be the most viral. And while very primitive, these AI tools have nevertheless been sufficient to create this kind of curtain of illusions that increased societal polarization all over the world, undermined our mental health, and destabilized democratic societies. Damn. Millions of people have confused these illusions for the reality. Many, millions, working on billions of people have confused this for reality, but there is one particular group, one very vulnerable group, that has been the most targeted as a way of nudging everyone into new social behaviors. And this is the clip that sets up our next show, kids. I definitely have come to believe that in the United States there is an element. This is a nurse who is testifying in front of a government body, I believe in another country. She's from the United States, and she's going to talk about something that I believe is the most pressing uh, thing that we need to talk about. I definitely have come to believe that in the United States there is an element of social contagion in play going on with young people who are seeking out care um, in gender centers. And I'm not the only one to believe that. I had lots of parents report very similar things. And there were even a number of patients in the center who would report and directly said, I, I only got this online. I think it's well known in medicine that adolescent girls are just more more open and more susceptible to many different kinds of social contagions. That has to do with a lot of ways that girls are socialized, but also the way that girls interact in kind of group settings and pick up things and show empathy with those in their group setting, oftentimes by taking on attributes in those group settings. So I didn't just see that these kids were picking up gender as a social contagion. We have a lot of issues right now in my country with adolescents who are experiencing tick disorders. They think they have Tourette's. They don't. There's been a recent wave of young people believing that they have um, what they refer to as DID, so multiple personalities. Um, you are seeing these things directly coming from social media. 
Oh boy, Dave. Under two hours. Under hour two hours. We're gonna do it. Change. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Where is this happening? On social media, and they're driving kids to gender treatment centers. And so next week, we're going to have to deconstruct what's going on in the trans community. We're going to have to do it. It's an important thing that we have to talk about. And so next week, we will be back to discuss the trans-ition. See you there. Thanks for hanging out, Dave. Nice job. Serious fun out. Send us your booty. Please, send us your booty. Then when I got my own, I was like, oh shit. I started doing the world differently. I became more in tune with nature. Now I can see. I'm like, okay, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're showing me signs. Showing me signs. Showing me signs. Showing me signs. Nobody is all good. Nobody is all good.